welcome to part two of our conversation on genital herpes with Terry Warren, founder of the Westover Heights Clinic in Portland, Oregon, that specializes in the diagnosis and treatment of sexually transmitted infections. Just a quick note, if you've yet to do so, make sure you listen to part one of this conversation where we talk with Ms. Warren about the different tests that can provide an accurate herpes diagnosis and why a visual exam is never really enough to diagnose herpes. In this episode, Ms. Warren explains why knowing the specific type of herpes a person has is so important. And she also dives into how to manage the emotional and social aspects of the diagnosis. And it's a timely discussion to have. Asher recently conducted a survey of herpes patients and, and we asked people to describe their reaction to their diagnosis. The top three words used in the responses we received were shocked, depressed, and devastated. And Ms. Warren acknowledges this is all common, and she offers helpful insights into how to put a herpes infection into proper perspective. She also gives advice on how to talk about the infection with others, including sexual partners. Herpes is typically much more manageable within a relationship than people tend to think when they're first diagnosed. So we invite you to sit back, take a listen, and after this episode, you can visit our website, ashasexualhealth.org, to learn more about the survey and also more tips on managing genital herpes. Welcome to this edition of the ASHA podcast. I'm Fred Wyant, Director of Communications with the American Sexual Health Association, ASHA. We're continuing our conversation on the herpes simplex virus with Terry Warren, a nurse practitioner and a longtime ASHA medical advisor who's an expert in the diagnosis and clinical management of, of herpes simplex virus HSV. She's also a pretty fair hand when it comes to counseling patients. And of course, a genital herpes diagnosis brings with it a great deal of anxiety and lots of questions about what it means in a relationship for one's sex life and just it can go in a lot of directions. Uh, so we're going to get into all of that today. So, diving right in, let me ask you, when a patient is newly diagnosed with genital herpes, what do they really need to get from their health care provider at that point? What do they need to know most of, all, most of all? Well, they need to know the type of herpes that they have. Um, so, there are two types of herpes simplex virus, HSV-1 and HSV-2. In the past, HSV-1 has been primarily an oral infection, the cause of cold sores on the lip, on the edge of the lip, or in the nares. And type 2 has been consistently genital. As sex practices have changed over the years, more oral sex, we see a lot of new infection. In fact, most new infection now genitally is type 1, not type 2. So we see young people entering their sexual maturity with no antibody to HSV-1 because everybody's now careful about kissing somebody else with a cold sore. So we have all these teenagers becoming sexually active, having lots of oral sex and getting HSV-1 genitally as their first HSV infection. So the reason to know the type is that HSV-1 genitally recurs far less often than HSV-2 if that person having genital type 1 has sex with someone who has oral type 1, there probably is almost no risk, I can't say zero, of them, of the person with oral infection getting it genitally. So they're okay. So I think that's important to know. Type 2 infection will recur more often, uh, sheds more often from the genital tract. 
and uh, people should know about that as well. Um, and generally that stays in the genital area. Some people can get it orally, not common. So you want to know what type you have. If you want to know how long you've had it, you need a baseline test if you've had a recent contact. And what you're looking for there is a negative antibody test and then six weeks later positive. That would tell you that that's when you got infected. So those are the things that your provider can help you that can help you with. You may also want to talk with your provider about medicine. You know, do you want to have medicine? Do you want to take medicine? Um, and again, the type matters. Someone with genital HSV-1 may not opt for medication. Uh, it's not going to recur very often, doesn't shed very often. Uh, if the partner has HSV-1 orally, you probably really don't need that. The person with type 2 uh, may be more likely to need, need medicine. And if a diagnosis by laboratory test has been made, I think it's fine for that person if they uh, want to, to begin antiviral therapy on a daily basis. Or they may just want to treat outbreaks as they come up. That's an individual decision. There's no certain number of outbreaks that you need to, to take to, or to have to take medicine. Uh, it, we know now it's not about outbreaks. It's about viral shedding, the giving off of virus when you do and when you do not have symptoms. So that's, those are topics that you would, that you would want to uh, talk to your clinician about. Um, you want to talk about, do you just want to take medicine during an outbreak? And you should have that medicine ready. And how much should you take? And when should you start it? Those are things that you should also talk to your clinician about. And make sure that you have enough refills that you don't start an outbreak at 11 o'clock at night and have to go to urgent care somewhere to get a prescription. You want to have it at mm -hmm. home. The other thing that you want to talk to your clinician about, um, or that we, we should talk to our patients about, is letting people know that um, they need to disclose this information to partners. And that can be really hard. Um, I think it's useful, at least in my setting, to have people come back and practice telling me. And when they come back and we practice talking about it, people, I ask them to tell me. And then as the person listening, I role play all sorts of different things, like saying, herpes, you slut, I'm out of here. Or there you go. I don't care if you have herpes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care if you have herpes. Let's just jump right in bed. Or uh, the, the normal sort of happier response, which is, I'd like to learn more about that. Let's read some things together and talk about it some more. So I think role-playing, whether it's with your clinician or with a friend, just role-playing these different scenarios so that when you actually have to do it, it's not so hard. It's not so challenging. Um, I think it's important that people have something to read that's accurate in front of them and things that they can share with a partner, a potential partner, to read also so that you can kind of refer refer back to that. Um, I think one of the hardest pieces of information that we share with patients is you can, you are potentially infectious to a partner when you do and when you don't have symptoms. There isn't a day that you can say to your partner, today I'm 100% sure I will not infect you because people can give off virus when they have no symptoms. And I think that's probably one of the toughest things that that people have to hear because sure. if it was so simple that you could just avoid sex with outbreaks, Hey, that's a slam dunk. But 
but that's not how it works. We know that people with recurrences shed virus on about 13 to 14% of days. So if we had somebody swabbing for 100 days, they'd be shedding on 13 or 14 of those days on average. People who have symptoms shed virus more than people who don't have symptoms. But everybody that's HSV2 positive at some point is shedding. And you can't know when those times are. So let me ask you, just because someone has sex on a day when a partner is shedding asymptomatically, that doesn't mean they're going to contract. It's just that they could. Is that, is that correct? That's exactly, that's exactly correct. It doesn't mean that they're going to. It means that they could. That's right. And for that reason, I think disclosure is essential. And honestly, it's important from both a sort of a moral point of view, but from a legal point of view. I getting more and more and more cases coming across my desk of people who are being sued for giving someone herpes and not disclosing it ahead of time. So, and in some states, like the state of Washington, if you have a sexually transmitted infection, you give it to somebody and you haven't disclosed, that's a crime. So I think there are reasons to disclose in addition to just saying, hey, wouldn't it be right to tell somebody so they have a choice? Talk a little bit about any. You mentioned uh, uh, asymptomatic shedding with genital HSV two, but what about with genital HSV one? Uh, is is there less shedding along with fewer outbreaks? There, there is less shedding, and there are fewer outbreaks. And if you have not had a recurrence in the first year of HSV one genital infection, there's an eighty eight percent chance you won't have another one. So HSV one genitally is quite a different virus. It's it's not the same. It's it's like we have different types of HPV. Some are quite benign, others cause cancer. So just like herpes doesn't cause cancer, but there are different types and they behave differently in the genital area. So I think it's in, extremely important to know what, what the type is that you have. Okay. Talk a bit about the psychosocial impact of a herpes diagnosis. Just, just how profound is that? You know, I think it depends on the situation that you're in when you get it. If you are in a long-term monogamous relationship, you know your partner has herpes, you've decided, uh, you know, you're not going to use condoms every time, you're going to take some risk and you get it, that's a whole different scenario than if you are in a casual relationship and acquire herpes that's different because that's going to require that you disclose the information. And I think that piece about disclosure is what makes it kind of really hard because people feel like one, no one will want me now Two, I'm going to have these terrible outbreaks and I'm, um, you know, it's going to be terrible physically for me. Three, I won't be able to have a family. I'll never be able to have any children. The, the catastrophizing that goes on is pretty profound for some people, right. and um, they just really kind of fall apart. I, I think it's important to note that in our research, most people by six months come back to baseline functioning, generally speaking. A few people continue to be profoundly sad or anxious um, about this diagnosis. And so it is good that most people bounce back. I think it's also important to remember for people that when you have this diagnosis, um, it doesn't, shouldn't define you. You're not your herpes. <laughs> you have herpes, but that's different than being your herpes. And I think that's an important distinction to make. We all have stuff about ourselves 
that we don't think is ideal. Uh, maybe you're too attached to your mother, or maybe you spend too much money, or maybe you drink too much, or maybe you're a mess. Whatever it is, we all bring stuff. So I think people with herpes should remember you're not, you're not the only one to bring something less than ideal into a relationship. Everybody's got stuff. Yours is physical. It could be given to others. That's a different quality. But in the end, in relationships, I think that stuff like in-laws and money and sex are much bigger herpes and uh, much bigger issues than herpes ever thought about being. And in, in your experience, herpes, I mean, well, let, let me just, let me rephrase that. My impression is that most of the time, herpes is really not the deal breaker in a new relationship that people maybe think it was. I think it will be. I mean, with some people, sure, it, it, it will be. But for the most part, following a herpes diagnosis, somebody wants to date, they want to have sex, they want to get married, they want to have kids, all of that, they pretty much go ahead and do that. I mean, is that is is that fair to say? I would say that's fair to say. I think that how you tell it and when you tell it um, determine a lot about how it's going to be heard. So if you meet somebody in a bar and say, hi, my name's Terry, I have genital herpes, that's bound to fail because they don't know you. They're not invested in you in any way. I mean, that's, that's just, I mean, you might run into somebody and say, hey, me too. <laughs> Let's have at it. But in general, I think that's not a good strategy. So what is a better strategy is to get to know people, find some things in common, do some activities together. And then when it, and it, yes, will that prolong the time to having sex the first time? Yes, it will. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. You want to know that this person that you're disclosing to isn't going to tell the world that they're less likely to reject you. So you want to have it be at a time when I think people know you a little bit better. And then the way that you tell people, if you tell people and you start sobbing and falling apart, they're going to think, whoa, this must be really bad that you're so upset. So I would, I would um, certainly disclose before sexual activity, um, but say, you know, it looks like we're going to become sexual before we do that. I need, there's something I need to disclose to you and then just say that. And um, you could say, you know, do you know much about herpes or would, have you ever been tested? Would you like to read some more? Um, and I think it's fine if people say, hey, I need some time to think about this. And I think that's ideal from both points of view, because then, you know, if they come back and say, yeah, I, I want to be together more, that they've really given this some thought that it's not just for the moment. Yeah. And and just as a note on Ash's website. Uh, we actually have a, a, a tab about herpes and relationships and how to talk to a partner. Uh, so for, oh, good. Yeah, so, so I encourage the listeners to, to take a look at that as well. Let me flip this around a little bit and look at it from the partner's perspective. We get a lot of calls and emails from someone who's entering a relationship with a new partner, and the new partner has genital herpes, and they want to know, well, what does this mean for me? What should I do? Uh, beyond what we've discussed, is there anything specific you would tell uh, somebody who's entering a relationship with somebody who discloses they have genital herpes? Sure. So I think um, we know that we know approximate transmission rates. We do, it's not perfect, but we have a kind of a ballpark 
idea about it on average. So if it's a female that's infected having sex with an uninfected male and they're not doing anything about it, um, but it has been disclosed to the partner, the transmission rate having intercourse about twice a week is about four to five percent. That means four or five people out of 100 in a year in that situation would probably acquire herpes. If now you that's add smaller than I would have thought. That's much smaller than I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, it, it isn't. It isn't that high. Um, and then if you add antiviral therapy to that mix, it cuts it by about half. And then if you add condoms by the male partner, it cuts it again. Condoms are more protective for women than they are for men. But you can get these numbers down to be a very uh, low transmission number. Essential in this is disclosure to the partner. Why is that important? Why does that make a difference? And I think, you know, Dr. Anna Wald at the University of Washington, who's such a glowing star in the herpes world, did a neat study looking at, um, at this issue and found that if people disclose, the time to transmission with a new infection is longer than if you don't disclose. Why? I think it's because you will feel freer to say, you know, I feel a little tingle tonight. Let's do something else other than intercourse and uh, put that off for a little while so that you feel more comfortable controlling the timing of sex in accordance with any symptoms that you might have. So that's an important piece too, the disclosure part. And then, you know, adding antiviral therapy and condoms, nice and low. Men having sex with uninfected women, that's around 10%. Some studies show higher, some studies show lower. But um, again, if a condoms reduce transmission by 96% if you used every single time by men. That's a great thing, I think. And then you add antiviral therapy, you've got nice, cutting it in half again, you've got nice low numbers. So there's a lot that can be done. People may not stick with these things forever. I mean, you may say, well, you know, we've been together for a few years. I think I'd like to stop condom use. I think we this looks like it's going long term. I think I'd, I'd like to try dropping that. Let's keep the antiviral therapy, but drop the condom use. So there can be variations. It doesn't have to be like once you start one thing, it's forever. So, you know, you can you can personalize that, if you will. I think the other thing with peop- with partners is um, to recognize that this is hard for the person with herpes to disclose. So if you find, and I've seen this situation so many times in my practice, if you find that you simply cannot relax about this, that it's constantly on your mind, that you're avoiding sex because of it, I think then you should investigate whether this is really a relationship you should be in. Because long-term, there can be a negative impact on the person with herpes. They begin to feel damaged and dirty and, and like, you won't have sex with me. I, I, I don't know what to make of myself anymore. So I think if you can't do it, if you can't throw yourself into it after a while, then maybe you should consider that it's not the right relationship for you because you could be doing more damage to the person with herpes. What and do you think about that, Fred? I think you uh, have phrased it perfectly, um, much more eloquently and insightful than I would have been. And I want to... <laughs> 
I want to take advantage of that further, and, and you can offer me a gentle corrective if need be, but I think as far as the partner's perspective goes, there are usually two questions we get. The first is, well, what are the odds I'm going to get herpes if I'm with this person, and what's going to happen to me if I do? And you just spend a lot of time laying out in, in a lovely fashion the, the first part of that, what are the odds I'm going to get this. As for the second part, you know, I think sometimes we have a lot of um, – uh, maybe stereotypical thinking about what it means to have herpes and you know the reality is the vast majority of folks who are dealing with herpes are undiagnosed and unaware right they don't know they have it um, and so and I am in no way trying to minimize this and here too if I'm wrong you steer me right you're the medical expert here but for most people at least from a medical standpoint for most folks having genital herpes doesn't amount to a whole lot I mean is that fair to say or am I just being too dismissive no, for most people, the physical aspects are are not the problem. It's the psychological, emotional stuff. Yeah. And I will say, yeah, I, I will say that one of the things that I think is good in a relationship when you disclose and the partner's thinking about it, ask that partner to be tested. Because as you just said, 80% of people who have HSV2 have an unrecognized infection. So you might find that you're positive and you never knew it and then your problem's over. Bang, you can do whatever you like. But yeah. I think that testing is an essential piece of that. All right. Yeah. Thank, yeah. Okay. That was a nice way to put a, the proverbial bow on the pack for me. Well, thank you for that. Um, and I want to mention that uh, on our main website, Ashes Sexual Health, we have just a ton of HSV information. I mentioned the herpes tab talking about partners and relationships, but I want to mention also that we have a program called Ask the Experts, where uh, Ms. Warren and her colleagues, uh, they address questions. Uh, it's an online forum, and they give direct, tailored responses. Uh, and that's for somebody who really needs a deeper dive or some more reassurance, or you really know that you're getting the kind of expertise that you're looking for. AskExpertsNow.com is really the place to go. It's, it's free to browse the discussions there, but if you want to interact directly with an expert, is 25 bucks and it goes it, you know ash is a nonprofit and this goes to support our mission and you know somebody has got to keep me in ramen noodles and diet soda terry so there you go <laughs> all right all right i'm doing my best friend i'm doing my best <laughs> god love god love you terry warren thank you so much this has been delightful i think this is long overdue and i really can't thank you though thanks for, for spending some time with us today you're welcome fred thank you and thanks to everybody who downloads and listens to this podcast. We'll have lots more to come, so keep checking back with us. Again, ashescentralhealth.org is our home online. And uh, sign up for our email so that you'll be the first to be in the loop when we produce new episodes like this one. Until next time, this is Fred Wine for ASHA. So long, everybody.